Amen. Amen. Man, it's so good to worship together. You guys can grab a seat. Um, as we were worshiping, I'm sensing a, a very, very slight audible um, from the Lord. So I'm going to get to what I was planning to say in a second. Uh, and trust me, that doesn't freak anyone out more than me. Uh, so um, the Lord put on my heart um, 1 John uh, 1, 5 through 10. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Um, I wrestled with that for a couple minutes um, because, again, I don't love to audible, uh, but let's just take that, and if, if the Holy Spirit's using that in you, hang on to that, because um, I think he's going to tie it back together later. But let me just add this. God does not want you to walk in darkness. In him is no darkness. And if we claim that we have no sin, we make him a liar. And my, my sense from the Holy Spirit this morning is that someone here, maybe multiple of us here, there is something that we're holding back. There, there's something that, that we cannot say, I'm surrendering that. The song doesn't go, I surrender most, okay? It's I surrender all. And I think the Holy Spirit's wanting to get through to us tonight that we surrender all, and we want to surrender all. We're going to walk in freedom. We're going to be able to walk in the light as He is in the light in that moment that we surrender all. So hang on to that. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit's going to use that for you. All right, what I want to share with you tonight, the, the main thing I want to share with you tonight is out of the book of Matthew, I'm going to look at uh, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. This is the story of the faith of the Canaanite woman, or my alternate title is Jesus's trip to the beach, um, if I can be so casual. But before I read the actual scripture to you, let me just set up the context a little bit. If you read Matthew chapter 15, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see that Jesus has had a conversation with some Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. And what they want to know is why Jesus' disciples broke tradition by not washing their hands before they ate. And then this is what Jesus does. He flips it and turns it on them. And he says, why do you break God's commandment in favor of your tradition? Because what they were doing is they were giving all of their money to the temple so, so that they had nothing left to, uh, to take care of their family with. And Jesus is saying, hey, you're not honoring your father and your mother. And he quotes uh, the prophet Isaiah when he says, uh, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus is concerned with where your heart is. Because these guys thought they were a big deal. These guys thought that they, they were the, the epitome of you know, religious perfection. They, they, they thought they, they had it all together. But Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter. And then Jesus goes on and he's teaching some people around him. And he says, it's not what goes into your mouth that, that, that defiles you, but what comes out. 
What comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. He says, sexual immorality and idolatry and envy, these all come from your heart. So again, as we read through Matthew 15, we see Jesus is concerned with the state of the heart. And so then we get to where we are today. This is verses 21 through 28. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So this is what we see. We see that Jesus is withdrawing. He withdrew from the area to uh, Tyre and Sidon. And Tyre and Sidon are uh, up by the coast. They're near the sea. That's why I say Jesus is going to the beach. Uh, and sometimes we just need to go to the beach. And maybe that's a word for somebody in here. I don't know. Uh, but as we read on, we see that this Canaanite woman comes out. Now, being a Canaanite, she is a non-Jew. She is a Gentile. And she comes to Jesus saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. She knows who Jesus is. And she, she gives Jesus a respect that the Pharisees that were trying to debate with Jesus earlier were unwilling to give him. And this is what she says. She says, have mercy on me because my daughter is oppressed by a demon. She's got a problem and she asks Jesus to help her. And notice this. She says, have mercy on me because my daughter has a demon. She doesn't ask for, for Jesus to show mercy to the daughter. She says, show mercy to me. And there, there are going to be times, there are going to be things that we need God's help with that aren't just about us. They may not be about you, but she comes to this place where she has no other place to look. She has no other option. She doesn't know what can possibly work, so she comes to Jesus. She seeks him out. And after she says this, it's silence from Jesus. Now, almost any commentary that you read on the matter will tell you that this is pretty unusual. Jesus usually gives some kind of answer, some kind of response, but he doesn't say a word. Maybe this doesn't seem unusual to you. Maybe you feel like when you pray, when you press in, when you open the word even, you just don't hear a thing. Maybe you can relate to coming to God and asking him to, to do something for you and you get no response whatsoever. So as we continue on, we see the disciples ask Jesus to send her away. Now we don't know if, if she's like, Lord, just get rid of her. Like we're tired of her. She's getting on our nerves. But the scholars indicate that uh, the, the way the language works is that he's saying, they're saying, Lord, would you just do what she wants for her so that she would get off our case? Can you please just get her out of this place? They're probably exasperated. They're frustrated. They're annoyed. We don't know how long she's been following after them. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like uh, the, the, the people around you, maybe people in your small group or people that you've been around for a long time, maybe you just feel like an inconvenience. 
Maybe you feel like you can't speak up. Maybe you feel like whatever you bring up is either too big or it's too small and it's silly and you just feel like you can't bring anything up. You, you might just feel like you're not important enough to come to Jesus. Then Jesus makes a statement that it has the potential to wound or to discourage or to, to do whatever. It, he says, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. And she being a Canaanite, was not one of the lost sheep of Israel. Now, we know on this side of history, on this side of the resurrection, that that Jesus didn't only come for the lost sheep of Israel, that that Jew and Gentile and, and everyone in between was being brought to Jesus. But what this means is that he was coming first for the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, his ministry was first going to take place in Israel, and she did not qualify for that ministry. But this is what I want you to see tonight. In spite of Jesus' silence, in spite of the disciples asking Jesus to send her away, and in spite of what Jesus says, saying that he was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel, we get these three words. But she came. She came anyway. This woman breaks through the, the humiliation, the embarrassment, the silence, the frustration, the hopelessness, the helplessness that she's experienced. She shoots her shot. One more time, she comes before Jesus and she kneels on the ground and she says, Lord, help me. Where else could she go? What else could she possibly do? Her daughter was helpless. Her daughter was hopeless. She might have, we don't know what she tried before, but I imagine she's exhausted every avenue. And she knew that the only person, the only place that she could get help from was this guy, Jesus, that she's heard about. And then we get these three words, and he answered. Finally, Jesus breaks the silence. Finally, Jesus speaks to her directly. But it's not what you might think, okay? This is not the part where it starts to go happily ever after. We go just one more step. We got, we got to go a little bit further down before we get to the, to the good part. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. In other words, it's not right for me to do for you what I was sent here to do for Israel, At first glance, this seems really harsh. This seems really mean. Is Jesus calling this woman a dog? But she replies, and she seems to do so without skipping a beat whatsoever. She says, yes, Lord. She agrees. She says, you're right. I know. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And somehow this is the response that blows Jesus away. Somehow this is the response that gets through to Jesus. And Jesus says, your faith is amazing. Go and it's going to be done just as you ask, just as you request. Why does this blow Jesus away? Why is this the response that gets him to finally react? Well, who am I to try to read the mind of God? But I'm going to make a a well-educated guess as to why. First of all, We know that her faith was persistent. Her faith was persistent. We've seen this through the story, this short little seven-verse story. We see that this woman is going to stop at absolutely nothing to get to Jesus. She knows that she is not going to get to this point and hear nothing and just give up and walk away. She keeps moving and she keeps going. She didn't let the disciples scare her off. She didn't let Jesus' first response scare her off. She didn't let Jesus' silence scare her off. But she kept going in the right direction. Because second, we know that her faith was well-placed. 
She's come to Jesus because she clearly believes that he can help her. But not only that, she clearly believes that he is her only option. She is betting the farm on Jesus being able to help and ultimately Jesus being willing to help. And then finally, we see that her faith was humble. At no point does she decide to get offended. She doesn't get offended when Jesus doesn't respond. She doesn't get offended when Jesus says that he came for the lost sheep of Israel. And if you're not going to get offended when Jesus starts talking about dogs and comparing you to a dog, then you're probably, you're not going to stop at any point. But this is, this is the thing I want you to see, though. She says, I may be com- comparable to a dog, but I'm a dog in the master's house. Okay, there's a difference. There were dogs that were running around and just in the street and they were just doing whatever. But there were dogs that that were brought into the house and they were fed and they were taken care of. And so she recognizes that even though at the time she's not the child, she recognizes that there's still a chance for her to get something. I don't know, any dog owners in the house, uh, lunchtime is not a peaceful time for us. Our dog comes right up, and, and if I'm sitting down, he just plops his head right there on my knee, and he just looks all pathetic-like, and he's not going away until he gets something, or until I, you know, shoo him off, because he doesn't get anything anymore. But she's like this. She knows that eventually, if she just waits, if she just sticks with it, something is going to fall from that table that she's going to be able to benefit from. And then finally, at the end of the story, we get the resolution. Her daughter was healed. Okay? I, love, I love seeing the narrative and just seeing it broken down into three phrases. But she came and he answered and her daughter was healed. Finally, she got what she came to Jesus for. Where are you at tonight? What did you come tonight expecting from God? What are you looking for from God? What are you asking him to do? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to use this story to illustrate and, and to, to, to break down this three-step guaranteed foolproof formula that, that, that is going to make God always do exactly what you want him to do because he's God and he doesn't quite work like that. He can't be bossed or bullied around and as, as much as he makes himself known, we're not in charge of him. He's still in charge of us. But as I read this story, let me suggest that there are a few things that God is inviting us into tonight. Number one, quite simply, just come to Jesus. When you're looking for something in your life to change, the first step is to come to Jesus. And let me tell you, you might have to keep coming. You might have to keep coming. He might be silent at first like he was in this story. He might start off by giving you an answer you don't want to hear. He might start off by by giving you an answer that you're going to have to come around to and grasp his way of thinking on it. But just like Pastor Joe says sometimes around here, nothing changes until something changes. And the first step is to step out, to make a move, to come to the end of yourself, to say, I surrender all, and to come to Jesus. Number two, accept his terms. Okay? Now, this is not meant to sound mean or harsh. I am not here to throw a rock at you. I'm not here to bash you over the head and just say that you just have to agree with God. But this is an act of faith in and of itself to yield to his wisdom, to yield to the reality that his ways are better than, or are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. 
to bet the farm on the idea that his plans for our lives are better than our plans for our own lives. Because we follow and believe in the Jesus that told the rich young man to sell everything he had, give to the poor, and come follow. We follow the Jesus that said, let the dead bury their own dead. Now come, follow me. I'm reminded of the time in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus uh, is, is explaining that the Father will give good gifts to those of us who ask him. And there comes a point where maybe we have to realize that we think we've been asking for a loaf of bread or we think we've been asking for a fish, but maybe we don't know because we don't know how things are going to turn out. We, we can ask and say, God, why don't you just do this? This makes perfect sense for you to do this. I don't understand why you wouldn't, but maybe it's not God's best for you. Maybe it's not the thing that, that God is going to use uh, to, to glorify himself and to bring you and other people around you the most good. And finally, we believe that he will do it. In Matthew chapter 9, uh, Jesus asks two blind men if they believe that he can restore their sight. And as you read through the Bible, this idea of, of faith and believe in, in, in what God has done, this, this comes up time and time again. And so we have to ask, why does this matter? Why is this important? And I think it's just because, quite simply, and this is my humble attempt at answering this question. I don't know. It's probably a lot more complicated than I, than I think it is. But if you believe that God will do something, you'll live differently because of it. The Canaanite woman came to Jesus because she believed that he would help her. She persevered through silence, through dismissal, through, through unfavorable answers, because she believed that Jesus would help her. The Apostle James, who is Jesus' little brother, gives us this counsel in James uh, chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8. He writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways." And when I read that passage in James, I'm just reminded that the, the phrase that comes to mind for me is hedging your bets, right? Now, I'm not a betting man, so I can't explain to you how that works, but basically what I understand it to be is when you are placing multiple bets to, to maximize your gain and to minimize your risk. You're trying to cover yourself in case this thing doesn't work out. But here at, at, at the vineyard, here at this church, we believe that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And some of you are thinking, do you even know how to spell? But we believe that, that we don't see a single act of faith that doesn't require some kind of risk. Risk that it won't work. Risk that it won't work the way you want it to. Risk getting hurt. Risking your, your reputation. Whatever that is. And quite simply, we don't have room for that. We don't have time for that. So this is what we're going to do tonight. Um, the prayer team, we, have, we haven't done this a lot since, since you know, COVID season's been going on, but the prayer team's actually going to come to the front, and we're going to be in front of the stage, and they're going to be masked up. Um, and, and I just want to encourage you here in the building 
to come get prayer tonight. Whatever you need prayer for, whatever you're asking God to do in your life, whatever you have been petitioning him about, I want to encourage you to come get prayer. If you're joining us online, I want to encourage you to go over to our website, vineyardrichmond.com, and down in the lower uh, right-hand corner, I believe, there's a uh, prayer chat button. And there's a real person behind there that would like to pray with you about whatever is going on. This is what we believe, though. This is what we know. God wants to move in your life tonight. Might be something really big. Might be something really small. God wants to speak to you tonight. Again, might be something really big. Might be something, it, it might be something that someone on the prayer team says to you or someone says to you in a conversation and they had no idea that that's exactly what you needed to hear. It might be something like that. It might be something really simple. You might just need to hear, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But this is what we know. God wants to meet with you tonight. He wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. And so I just want to encourage you, come to Jesus tonight. Wherever you're at, if you're doing good, come to Jesus. Let's worship him together. If you're hurting, come to Jesus. He wants to heal you. If you're lost, come to Jesus. He wants to find you. We believe that he wants to meet with us tonight. Let's pray. God who has God in heaven, we just... We just submit to you tonight, Lord. We just ask you to have your way. God, we don't want to uh, claim to, to, to be reading your mind. We don't want to claim to, uh, to know exactly what you want to do. We just know that you want to meet with us. We just know that you have made yourself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You've made yourself known to us through giving us the Holy Scriptures, the Bible that we read. We know that you are not hiding from us, God. We know that you are light and in you is no darkness whatsoever. So God, we just ask you to be at work. We ask you to come in this place. Holy Spirit, would you do the work that you do of of convicting us of our sin as well as of our righteousness? God, would you show us how broken we are? Would you show us just how needy and desperate we are? But would you also show us, Holy Spirit, just how loved we are? Holy Spirit, would you instruct our hearts in repentance? Would you instruct our hearts in coming to you? Would you show us what we need to do? God, would would you shine lights on the areas in our hearts that the darkness has tried to take a hold of? And would you show us how you want to come in and how you want to move in that? Because we know you want to, Lord. We know you want to. We know that your will is for all people to know you and to to come to, to a saving knowledge of who you are. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit. We submit to your guidance tonight. We ask you to be in this place, leading us and guiding us as we continue to worship, as we pray together, as we sing together, as we take communion later tonight, as we're talking in the commons area, and as we go out from this place. We just want to submit to your Lordship, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.